well-being of the people, Lord. We thank you that nothing escapes your notice, Lord. We thank you that every single seed sown this morning into your kingdom is going to return into their lives, Father God. And I thank you, Lord, that you'll do a miracle on that seed, and you'll just turn it into souls for your kingdom in Jesus' name so that we can accomplish the mission that you have given this church. In Jesus' name we pray. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you be with us this morning as we hear the word and that you just minister to our hearts and that every single one of us, whatever we came in here with, Father, this morning, whatever we came in here, whatever is going on in our life, Lord, that you speak to us, Father. Your Holy Spirit can cut through all the junk of the week, and you can speak straight to our hearts, and you can make us into new creations. We thank you, Father, for that. We thank you, Lord, for the good day we're, we're going to have later on today. We thank you, Father, that you are going to be in the middle of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Generations. I'm excited. It's our picnic Sunday, and uh, hopefully... Uh, you're, you're all ready to go. You, hopefully you got your picnic clothes on and we got a, if your food, if you brought your food and you took it probably to the fellowship hall area, that kitchen area, uh, we're going to take care of that food and have it out there ready for you. And we'll probably get started, I'm, I'm going to say like 30 minutes or so after we close the service, which won't be very long from now, but we're going to close the service. Give you 30 minutes to kind of get the kids and, you know, freshen up, get all ready, get your spot out there, your favorite spot, and hopefully you got a lawn chair or a blanket or something like that. And we're just going to have a great a great time. We've got lots of games for the kids. The kids are going to just have a ball, and uh, it's going to be fun for us teens and grown-ups as well. Amen? Amen. we got a lot of people out there working on it right now, just making sure everything's all set up there, and we appreciate so much all of our all of our hospitality crew that's putting, putting everything together and getting the food and the chicken together, and that's all awesome. Thank you so much uh, to, to the uh, the group of guys that came out yesterday, the cavalry who came out and, and helped set up all the tables and got everything out there, did some work around the church. Awesome, awesome group of guys. Hallelujah. So we're going to have a feast in just a little bit. And why do we do this every year? Why do we, why do we have a picnic every single year? Anybody have a really spiritual answer? Here's a, spiritual, here's a super spiritual answer because we like to eat, right? We're evangelical Christians. That's what we do when we get together. We eat, right? we eat. We like to play and hang out together, right? We like to be in fellowship with one another, right? Um, we, we just love it. It's, a, it's part of life, right? Well, you know, Scott, we have to have these sort of picnics and fellowship events every once in a while. The hope is that through these carnal events, you know, somehow something tiny and spiritual, you know, will sort of break through. No, 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 no. We fellowship because God designed us to fellowship. We fellowship because he made us this way. He made us to love hanging out together, right? Did you know God made you to enjoy fun? That's a shocker, right? God made you to enjoy fun. Your, your enjoying of fun is not part of the curse of the garden, right? He made you to enjoy fun. And, 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 and in fact, I'll go so far as to say this, that uh, we aren't hoping when we have times of fellowship together, we're not just hoping that, well, maybe something spiritual will come out of it. No, 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 no. Something spiritual is happening when we fellowship, when we commune together. That's what happens. Living and laughing in community, that is, with other believers, that's as crucial a part of you flourishing in your life as a believer as anything else. That's as crucial a part. I find it comforting to look at in the Bible, when I look at the words of Jesus, how often he compares life in the kingdom uh, to a banquet to a meal, right? To a celebration, a party. When you, when you study through his words and his miracles, some of his greatest hits happened at celebrations, 
right? Happens at dinner parties and, and banquets and things like that. And I have this nagging worry, and this is why, why I'm touching on this this morning, because I have this nagging worry for some Christians, and I, and I feel for them because I feel like they're going to get to heaven, and they're going to be expecting some very, very proper, some very religious, well-mannered, eternal church ceremony. They're going to get up there, and they're going to arrive, and they're going to go, Jesus, what is going on? Right? I just have the fear that they're going to get there, and Jesus is going to be like, hey, you made it. Yeah, come on in. We're going to dance. Right? This is heaven. We do a lot of that here. Right? It's heaven. There's nothing, to, nothing else to worry about. We're going to do a lot of dancing. Right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you dance if you got to the destination and realized, I got nothing else to worry about? I think we would do some dancing, right? And we're going to be like, well, I don't know how to dance. That was, really wasn't what I was expecting. You know? And God's going to be like, was I not clear enough? Right? Did you read anything that I wrote? I told you heaven would be a feast. It would be a banquet, this endless wedding celebration, right? I mean, I repeated it throughout the Bible, right? God's pretty clear about this. There's going to be a feast, and everyone's invited, and our job is to tell others. That's our job. And, and I don't want God saying to me when I get up there, he's like, what did you think people do at feasts and celebrations? Right? What exactly were you doing down there the whole time? I don't want God saying that to me, do you? How, how, what are the words that the Bible uses to describe heaven? It's not like we're going to go to that great like accounting office in the sky. It doesn't say anything like that, right? It's all about banquet, feast, wedding, celebration. This is how the kingdom of God is described. They all seem to have this theme, and it all seems to point back to celebrating life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And when it comes to issues of eating and meals and food. The Bible speaks of these things over a thousand times. In fact, just the word feast and its derivatives appear in the Bible over 180 times, right? I did the work for you, 180 times. So the Bible has a lot to say about food and feasting and friendship. It has a lot to say about that. And you might be thinking, well, okay, but that's heaven, right? This is the bad old world that we live in. What is what are we supposed to do down here? Well, what does God tell us to seek down here? The kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of God. That means God wants you and me to show other people a different way of living. They want us to show them a, a way of hope, a way of joy, a way of people loving each other instead of using each other. Because that's what the world does. You get invited to their party if there's something they can get out of you, Right? We just love each other. And Christ himself prayed that the kingdom of God would manifest here on earth as it is in heaven, right? God came. He came to restore us, to save us. And that new eternal life starts right now. It doesn't start when you die, right? It's, the Bible is not just about where you go when you die. In fact, if we had to be really honest, if you took all those scriptures together— the Bible actually spends very, very little real estate talking about what happens when you die. It talks a lot about what happens right now and how to live right now, right? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is among you, right? He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is waiting for you when you die. It's among you, right? Jesus showed up on earth, and what did he do? He walked around healing bodies, right? He restored people's joy, like actual joy, not like metaphorical joy that doesn't really mean anything. 
actual joy, right? He fed hungry bellies with actual food, right? When the crowd was starving, he didn't just say, someday you'll be in heaven. He said, let's get some food for these people, right? That's what Jesus was about, right? He played with real children. He didn't shoo them away and say, children, children, please, please, this is the earth. When we get to heaven, maybe, but right now you need to act a little more miserable. This is the earth. Have you looked around? Things are not good. Let's all just cool it with all the smiles and laughter, right? No. Jesus had a lot to say about this revolutionary kingdom of God, and you and I are a part of it right now here on this earth. And sometimes you, you hear people call it the upside-down kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. And they talk about it because it, it breaks all the rules of our, of our world, of our kingdom, right? In the upside-down kingdom, the poor are happy, right? In the upside-down kingdom, the bottom rung of society gets like the most favored seating. They get the seat of honor. The, uh, he tells grown-ups to start acting like children, right? That's backwards. And people... Uh, in the upside down kingdom, people who, who get too hung up on all their, you know, their proper responsibilities, often they miss out on the cool parties, right? One of my favorite parables, they're all my favorite, but this is also one of my favorites. Jesus tells a story about a great banquet in Luke 14, and you can turn it if you want to, it's going to be right there on the screen. Luke 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus, he's trying to explain the way this life is that he's offering to people, this life he's calling people into. And, and he's saying, there's this new way of living. I know all this stuff's going on around you, but there's this new way of living, right? You can, you can live in the kingdom of God right now. You and I can be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's like this. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. He invited many, many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. So notice, uh, in the custom of the day, you would have been invited already. You would have received your invitation, and you would have sent back, yes, I'm coming. I'm, it's going to be great. And then what happens is you get, in, in, the, in the custom of that day, you would get a kind of like a second invitation when everything's ready. So the, the people would run out there and let you know, because there's not email. So they have, to, they have to let you know, come, everything's ready, right? Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought this field, and I must go and see it. Excuse me, please excuse me. Now, scholars have pointed out this is the most ridiculous excuse that nobody back in that day would have bought a field without seeing it, right? So this is just an absurd, the, the listeners here listening to Jesus would have went, well, that's an idiotic thing to say. You know, I bought a field, and, you know, so they wouldn't have done that. Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Again, not done. That'd be just like you saying, I just bought a car. I'm going to go test drive it, Right? I just bought a house. I'm going to go see if it's any good. I hope it is, right? No. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, at first, that sounds like a pretty good excuse, actually. But the thing is, back in their day, they say that the people, when they would get married, that's the, what they do. It's sort of like a parade for a few weeks. You go to people's houses. You, 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 know, you sort of show yourselves off together. And so this, again, this is, so to the listener of the day would have realized these are just absurdly rude excuses for a party they've already accepted to come to. See, the, the food's been made. You accepted to come. Verse 21, the servant, oh, sorry, here we go. The servant came back and reported this to his master. So the, the invited servant 
the guests start making excuses, and the host says to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In verse 22, the verse, uh, the servant says, sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Now notice this. In, in any town back then, it's kind of like a town today, you'd have a lot more people in, under the poverty line than you would have that are rich, and especially in their town. Just, just a few people would be really wealthy. Most everybody else is just dirt poor. And so this master has made food. He's made a banquet for his friends, and they're not coming, so all the poor are coming, and there's still food left over. So this guy has made a lot of food. He has prepared an enormous celebration. And the master said, go out to the roads and the country lanes. So now he's saying, okay, we've, we've gone to everybody in our town. Now we're going to go outside. We're going to go with the people we don't even, they're not even, they're outsiders. They're not even part of our tribe. They're outside. Go out into the roads and the country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house is full. And what I love about this picture of the master in this story, he's not satisfied with a partially full banquet hall right? I mean, he could have a party with a few friends, but he's not satisfied with that. He wants it full. He wants every place at the table to be full. This isn't the picture of a God who wants to withhold joy and pleasure from people. He's not looking for reasons for you not to come, right? This is a God who really, he wants you there. He wants people there more than they want to be there. John MacArthur said this about this parable. He said, God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. God is more willing than we are. He is more willing. That's something, that's something beautiful to, to remember. When you feel that condemnation, when you feel like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if God really wants me. He wants you there more than you do. He wants you at the table more than he does. And Jesus uses a lot of metaphors for the kingdom, but this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. When people think of church, most people don't think of church. The first word that comes to mind probably isn't party, right? And really, that's our fault. That's the church's fault. Because, because you look at the metaphor Jesus uses to describe the kingdom. And I think a lot of the reasons that human beings, we love to get together, we love to celebrate, is that we are made in the image and likeness of God, right? And our God is good. Our God is happy. He's joyous. He's celebratory, right? He's a living God. That's what he loves. He's a social God. He loves. Our God knows how to throw a good party, right? Someday, our God is literally going to throw the party to end all parties. Someday, right? Now, let me just share a conviction. It's, it's not going to sound real spiritual. I think the kingdom is where the party is at. The kingdom. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that there isn't a place in church for times of conviction and confession. I'm not saying that. There, definitely in times where God just you ever have those times where He just deals with your brokenness in such a, like a profound way. It feels like you're just ripping in two almost, right? It's like a beautiful pain. There is that. There are times when you come to church. When I come to church, and the Spirit of God. It touches some kind of raw spiritual nerve, and it feels like a surgeon's knife. There are those times, absolutely. But I think as a general principle, church, 
ought to be one of the most enjoyable week, hours of your week. It ought to be. I heard one minister say, truly, every Sunday is Easter. Because isn't that what we're celebrating? We're here because someone rose from the dead and saved our sins, and he's still alive, right? Hallelujah. Every Sunday is Easter. That's something to celebrate. Yeah, things are happening in our lives. There's struggles and issues, and sometimes really horrible things go on around us and to us. But there's a Savior that rose from the dead, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that. So I'm not sure what the mental picture comes to mind when you think of church. But if you're, if you're thinking in biblical categories, if you see the kingdom the way Jesus apparently saw the kingdom, the way he was going around telling people, the word celebration has to be one of those images that comes to mind. Because the kingdom is where the party is. It's where the celebration is, right? The kingdom. Regardless of the, the sour look that might appear on some Christian's face, you know, that would lead you to believe otherwise. I, I think a lot of people think God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, right? He's up there just stomping out happiness, right? No, nothing could be further from the truth. If you read through the, you read through the Gospels, you find, well, number one, Jesus never condoned sin, right? So we're not saying that. But he was not a killjoy. I love this portrait. It's by an artist called, named uh, Ron Kilo. And it's just this beautiful picture to me. I love this Jesus. I love, this is happy Jesus, right? And you've probably seen pictures like that made by other artists. Um, but this is Jesus. When I think of Jesus, I don't think of mournful Jesus, right? Not that he didn't mourn. He did. He wept. But this is the Jesus I feel like he walked around most of the time, right? Because he had the joy of God in his heart. He knew what was he knew what was about to happen in the universe, right? That there was some deliverance about to happen in the human race. Hallelujah. Jesus was and is literally the life of the party. Okay? You know what I'm saying? If there is any life in a party, it's Jesus. And believe me, I have I'm I'm sad and ashamed to say that I've lived through the tired old cliche of the, the preacher's kid. I have. And I spent a sad amount of my college years drunk. Mom, close your ears. <laughs> drunk, drugs, the whole, you know, party and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I learned. There is no life in that life. There is no life in that life. Amen? I think of it like the walking dead, you know, the zombies. The, it, it's truly, it's, it's the life of the walking dead. You're going from one meaningless meal to the next, you know. It's, you're chasing, and you don't even know what, what you're chasing. It's mindless, right? And, and I noticed in my life, when I stopped chasing the party and started chasing God, I found out God knows how to throw a good party, right? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, but notice, notice again, let's look at this in verse 20, 21. Look what the master in the parable tells a servant. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Now, this is interesting. Notice the master doesn't expect people to just show up at the party. He doesn't think if I open my doors and put up a really cool billboard, they're just going to show up. No, it looks like he expects his servant to go out and invite them to come in. And what does he say? Go quickly, right? 
go quickly. There's this sense of urgency in the passage, right? And let me tell you why, because the stakes couldn't be any higher, right? To God, it's a party, but it's not just a party. There, there's eternal destinies at stake, right? And if I can just be brutally honest, I think a lot of Christians, me included, I'm right there, we, we need to repent for our lack of urgency because we get wrapped up in the affairs of life, don't we? The stuff that's going on right now. Blaise Pascal, he's the, this Christian philosopher, mathematician, physicist, writer, extraordinary, back from the 1600s. He said this. He said, our imagination so magnifies the present because we're continually thinking about it and so reduces eternity because we do not think about it, that we turn eternity into nothing and nothing into eternity. So let me just share my sense right now, if I can, just for the last few minutes, where we're at as a church. This is just, this is just the, the book of Scott, chapter 4. I feel, like, I feel like we've got almost 30 years of momentum behind us. Generations Church, this summer, you're going to celebrate 30 years. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. And everything that has happened over the last three decades have been this amazing story that God has written for us and we've been living it out and there's more chapters to be written. There's another chapter to be written coming up and there's gonna be chapters after that. And there's something that's kind of tough to capture into words, but I feel like all the, the lessons that we've learned, all the work that's been done and so much has been done before us and the experience and the creativity that we've accumulated, I feel like they're all converging for this next phase that God has planned for us feel that from the bottom of my heart. Why are we doing what we're doing this year? The stuff that we've been talking about. Because Luke 14, 21 says, go quickly. Go quickly, right? There's a sense of urgency. God has given us a window of opportunity in our church, and, and I just feel like we got to seize the day. We have this window. We've got to seize the day. Let's jump back into the story a little bit. The master says in verse 23, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This word compel, it's interesting. It means a couple of different things. It means to demand attention, to compel, like, oh, that, that was really compelling, that thing, that thing that I saw. You know, I just, I wanted to watch it. Or to urge irresistibly, to urge, to compel. And herein lies our challenge because people today all of our friends and neighbors, they, we, we suffer. We, we have so many things that vie for our attention. Don't you? Just 24-7, things that, that are constantly vying for your attention. I think most Americans suffer from attention deficit disorder. There's just, we just don't have enough attention to go around at everything. So what's that mean for us? It means that we have to compete for people's attention. We have to compel them to come to the party that God is throwing. We have to compel them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're the servant. We have to go compel them because there's a lot of things competing for their attention. A lot of like good, exciting, fun looking things and a lot of stupid things. And we have to compel them. And don't get me wrong. I believe in the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing that. God is working in people's lives long before we, we you know, they, they become part of our circle of of influence, but we've got to extend the invitation. That's our part of the parable. And will some people reject you? 
Yes. Right? Some of them are going to have, you know, the oxen they just bought or the, the car or the, the wife or whatever it is, you know, that, that they just came across. But here's what I know for sure. <laughs> here's one thing I know. 100% of the people that you don't invite won't come. 100%. And, and you can't accept an invitation that's not extended. So... The way that you and I take this parable personally and we put it into practice is everybody inviting somebody to God's banquet table. Everybody inviting somebody, amen? When I look out at Generations Church and I see all my friends here and I see, uh, you know, depending on the Sunday, there's about three or 400 people that call Generations home. I don't see three or 400 people. I see networks of relationships what I mean by that is I see the circle of people that you influence every single day. See, everybody here knows somebody that everyone else here doesn't know, right? You have circles of influence in your life. According to one calculation, the average person has about 68 people in their circle of influence, their network of relationships, about 68 people, some people a lot more, some people a little less. So when I look at our church here, I don't see three or 400 people. I see a relational network of the 25,000 people that we all represent. That's what that works out to be. 25,000 people that we all touch together. Let me leave you with a little story and then we're gonna go, we're gonna go party. Hallelujah. On April 15th, 1912, a little boat, called the Titanic, struck an iceberg in the North Sea, and it went down sinking. And you know the story, but when that happened, 20 lifeboats were lowered as a precautionary measure, and most of those lifeboats were half full. And you know the rest of the story, about 1,500 people ended up in those icy waters crying out for help. And the half-full lifeboats kept their distance. They kept their distance because when they interviewed them later, they were more concerned with preserving their own safety than saving others. Except for one. Lifeboat number 14. Lifeboat number 14. This is a famous famous lifeboat. Fifth officer Harold Lowe, he made this very courageous decision he started transferring his passengers to the other lifeboats so that he could go back and save people. And he went back to the sinking ship and he saved everybody he could. Couldn't save them all, but he saved many. He's the only one. Lifeboat number 14, that ought to be a metaphor for every church. We wanna get as many people in the boat as possible. We want them at the table. The master is throwing the party to end all parties. We want them at the table. We are the parable of Luke 14 in action, right? So that my house may be full. That's what he said. And as long as there's one person sinking, we can't afford to think small or play it safe. Amen? As long as God keeps giving us impossible dreams, we are going to set our faith and watch him do impossible things through us. Amen? Hallelujah. So here's a thought. 
Here's my closing thought. Next Sunday, Mother's Day. That's going to be a fun Sunday. Next Sunday, don't come to church by yourself. Invite somebody to the party. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your joyous, generous spirit, Lord. We thank you that you have not only made a place for us in the next life, Father, but you have made a place for us here at this table, Lord. And you, we, we thank you, Lord God. We get, to, we get to be representatives of the kingdom of God to everybody we meet and all the networks of people that, that are in our circle, our sphere of influence, Father. I thank you, Lord. Like in this story, we, we get to be your servants to go and tell and compel. I thank you, Lord. You're so good. We're not just your servants. You let us come sit at the table too. You let us come and enjoy this kingdom of God here on earth, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these people. Show them ways. Show us ways just during the week that normally we wouldn't even be thinking of it. But I ask that your Holy Spirit just drop in our heart. Hey, here's an opportunity. Here's another opportunity. Here's another opportunity. We thank you, Father God. Let us be the embodiment of that lifeboat, number 14, Father. We praise you. We give you all the praise and honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, if all of our prayer partners would come forward right now, we're going to let you go. And uh, as I said, we're going to have a lot of fun today. If, but if you need prayer, don't leave without coming to our prayer partners and making sure that they pray with you in faith. It's not the same when we pray. Hallelujah. And so come and get prayer. And then uh, go get your kids and go, go out there and find your spot. We are going to have a blast. As I said, let's see, it's 11 o'clock right now. So we're going to get started about 11.30. And... Uh, this is lost. Okay, I have a lost kids badge. Come and see me if you don't have your kids badge. All right, Pastor. Oh, absolutely! All of our guests today. We want we want you guys to come and enjoy all of our food. We always have plenty of food because all, all all these guys bring tons of food. So if you're our guest, come and enjoy the food and just have a great time with us. We want you to be there with us. Amen. All right, have a great time. We don't claim